This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday night, June 13th. It is about 9.41 in Chicago, and if you didn't know what was going on at Wrigley Field this weekend in the latter innings of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, the good old Wrigley faithful the 40,000-plus or 39,000-plus, whatever they got in there tonight, (laughs) were happy to let you know, Brendan, as chants of sweep, sweep, sweep rung out through the newly 100% capacity Wrigley Field, the Cubs sweep the St. Louis Cardinals. Add them to the list, Brendan, Dodgers, Padres, Whoever else the Cubs have swept, (laughs) add the Cardinals to the list. What a weekend at Wrigley Field, just uh, an electric atmosphere. We we had talked a little bit about how even once they started getting to 60%, you know, the, the electricity and the vibe inside that ballpark was truly palpable. But this was a a new level, a new old level, obviously. It was incredible to see the stands full. It was incredible to see the the players kind of soaking all of that in and the Cubs deliver uh, what, you know, I think for this team in particular will be viewed as, you know, one of those hallmark, like, key memories of of this season and maybe it will be for an even larger period beyond 2021 uh, because they polish it off with a sweep on ESPN it was uh, a really really incredible weekend Brendan oh my gosh I think we'll look back on this series years from now with you know the Wrigley stands being full capacity the national TV broadcast for better and for worse right but just having those types of memories and that type of stage to showcase Wrigley at truly its best with fans coming back and all the pent-up energy of wanting to get back to Wrigley and embracing what makes the Wrigley experience so good. That was on display for you know millions upon millions of people. And we have, for example, Tony Rizzo, that home run to tie the game. He's sprinting around the bases going absolutely insane after a 10-pitch at-bat, calling that at-bat his best of his career and just the fan reaction, his reaction. For me, I, I'll remember that. And watching these games, it's like so surreal too to see all these fans back at the stadium. And just given where the Cubs are at, they're at their point in the season. 11 games above 500. There's six games up on the St. Louis Cardinals now in first place, getting healthier, bullpens on point. This is, this is the peak point of the season, Corey. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's nice to win a series. It's nice to sweep a series. It's especially nice to do both of those things against the St. Louis Cardinals. But you just wanted this one so bad, right? Because it it would have been such a letdown to have opening day 2.0. The Cubs had some of their uh, legends out at the field to throw the first pitch and be a part of the ceremonies and stuff. And then, of course, you have these two night games on Saturday and Sunday where the energy in the ballpark is just off the charts. And, you know, it just would have been disappointing, right, for how well this team has been playing. You know, finally, everybody gets to see them, and they delivered, and they delivered in big fashion. Like you mentioned, you know, a a comeback victory on Friday, a sort of quintessential captain-style moment for Anthony Rizzo, and, Mm -hmm. you know, then polishing it off. And, And I think 
you know, one of the sort of lasting images from this series is Craig Kimbrell, like just blowing the St. Louis Cardinals away to end that game on Sunday night. Um, that, you know, curveball that he freezes Nolan Arenado with, just absolutely incredible. The crowd going nuts. It, it was just exactly what you wanted this weekend to be, given like all the hype that kind of went into it. Yeah, and that's that's the key point, right? It's like, oh, you have opening day 2.0. I hope the starters can go deep. I hope the lineup does well. You have Bill Murray singing the stretch. And that's that's the point when we look back in September and you realize like may, maybe this was like our turning point, so to speak. And you kind of feel it. Like not to get too much into the momentum stuff, but Javi Baez has talked about fans. Tony Rizzo's talking about fans. And you're seeing these at-bats look really good. And given... Also, right now with the season and the uh, cracking down on like the pitching spider tech substances and the dead ball, it's it's like kind of coming together where you feel the return of the Cubs, so to speak, Corey. I don't know if that makes sense, but it seems as if right now this group is in a position where we may not have expected them to be this this good. They, we knew it was a possibility, right? Like, hey, they, they, they could do this. But the overall projection was, uh, you know, maybe around 85, 88 wins, compete, see what happens. But right now, you're looking at a full capacity Wrigley Field. The vibes are on point, the highest they've been in years. You're looking at maybe expanding the roster via trades because you have full capacity and because you are so competitive. And at the same time, the ball is a little bit more dead that might be conducive to the way the Cubs pitch with Davies and Hendricks and also how they hit. And now pitchers across the league, their spin rates are dramatically dropping. So that proves possibly well for the Cubs and their inability at times to hit high fastballs. And even like, for example, Javi Baez chasing those outside the zone sliders. So this is like an environment that very much resembles kind of what we saw in 2016 in, the, in some portions of 2017. It does feel like it's coming together, and, you know, they talked about it even on the ESPN broadcast, but the Cubs navigating a very difficult portion of their schedule. You know, we kind of went into that uh, first Padres series, you know, kind of unsure as to what would lay ahead, um, and they they just keep navigating these stretches. It's not over with. You know, you've got a, a tough series and I think some tough pitching matchups here with the Mets. You're going to have to go out to LA, finish the month with the Brewers who, you know, as we've discussed, will not go away, tied with the Cubs for first place. So, you know, you still have some runway here of, of a bit of a tough June to get through. But for a month that began in the middle of that, you know, sweeping the Padres at Wrigley Field, they dealt with that series in San Francisco just fine, as we talked about, they survived, and then they win that series on the road uh, with San Diego. It set them up to come back home and have a weekend like this, and, you know, again, they completely delivered on that, and so we'll see how they uh, handle things going forward, but, you know, they, they have not been beaten down by this schedule by any means, and, uh, you know, again, like, other than that San Francisco series, they're thriving with this schedule. It's all coming together and they're still not at full strength. So it's 
it's easy to get carried away, you know, like the the vibes are high, right? You 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 know, you watch Craig Kimbrell and Wilson Contreras after that strikeout to end that game on Sunday. You're pretty oh, pumped, that was awesome. right? Like I think we're all pretty jacked right now. So it's like it's you know, it's very easy to get a little carried away. You know, like I'm happy if you guys want to start printing the the playoff tickets and the World Series tickets right now. Like let's go, let's get the deposits in. We you know, we can just get that out of the way right now. Of course. But it's it's not that crazy is my point when you're you're kind of looking at this schedule and I, I remember it was in one of those West Coast games, you know, Jim Deshays, who is, you know, just trying to be realistic and, and pragmatic, you know, I think said on one of those broadcasts, like if you know, you'd feel lucky if you can get through June still in first place or still, you know, within like reasonable striking distance of first place. And you know, that right now, you know, the Brewers won't go away, but the Cubs aren't even entertaining that, that kind of thought with their play. They're, they're doing the opposite. We're just like, yeah, no, like that's not even a thought on our radar. Like we're running and we're not planning on stopping, hopefully. So let's do a quick recap of these three games just to sort of, you know, we kind of already delved into some of it, but just remind us of everything that happened, get some pitcher lines out of the way, and then we will, uh, keep chatting about a Cubs sweep of the Cardinals at Wrigley Field. So on Friday, it was a big comeback win for the Chicago Cubs. Cole Stewart gets the start. He was okay. You know, again, this is sort of a a unique spot for him being called upon here, and I think he was fine for the purposes. Got away from him, obviously, in that last inning there. He goes four, six hits, five earned, two walks, and three strikeouts. And the story of this one is obviously how the Cubs got their runs. So the Cubs fall to a early two to nothing hole. Uh, Nolan Arenado with a single in the third made it two to nothing. Jock got them within one with his eighth homer of the year. He was not done on the weekend. That made it two to one. But the Cardinals add three in the top of the fifth. Five to one there in the fifth. Felt like that one was slipping away. Uh, but in the bottom of the fifth, a little Yadi Molina helping out a pass ball by Yadi Molina brings in the second Cubs run. Alcantara with a triple, his third of the season already uh, in such a short sample. So that is a lot of fun. Uh, that scored Jason Hayward, made it 5-3. to three, And then uh, Yadi helping out again, a throwing error, rough inning there for someone who doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that made it 5-4. to four. That uh, throwing error brought home Alcantara. That made it 5-4. In the bottom of the sixth, it was Anthony Rizzo hitting his seventh home run of the year to tie the game 5-5. Five to five. In the bottom of the seventh, it was Jock Peterson clearing the bases with a double. That scored Hayward and Marisnik. Jock is uh, a big—Jock f- pimps things a little— more often than he actually hits home <laughs> yes, runs. I I kind of love it. It's great. Um, but yeah. it's just, it's kind of funny. Um, it's happened to few I mean, times. if you were doing it against the Cubs, I would honestly hate it. But, you know, he's on our team yeah. and I like it. On our team, it's kind of funny. He <laughs> hustles. He got the second. It's all good. But, uh, yeah, he, he's he's gotten that wrong uh, a few times. So that made it 7-5 to five in the seventh. And then Wilson Contreras would add a little insurance with his 11th home run of the year in the bottom of the eighth. That would be all that she wrote. The bullpen, obviously, uh, given all of that, key in holding this one down. So it was Keegan Thompson with a scoreless inning of work. Tommy Nance with two scoreless innings of work. Ryan Tapera with an inning of scoreless work for his 12th hold of the year. And Craig Kimbrell's 16th save of the season in a clean inning of work there. And that was all she wrote. So a very exciting game there to start things off on Friday. 
on Saturday. It was Kyle Hendricks picking up his eighth win of the season. Six innings, three hits, two earned runs, one walk, and two strikeouts. Gets bit, uh, continues to get bit by the home run ball, two of them in this one, but as he has in some of these other outings, that's pretty much the only damage he's giving up, and he's limiting them uh, to, you know, not grand slams. So it it's working out. It's it's the the home run per fly ball rate for Hendricks is uh, quite high and much higher than it's been in his career. I you know we'll, we'll see. I'm putting him on the spot night, and so maybe Brendan will have some insight on that when we talk about the starting pitchers. Yeah, uh, but another quality start for Kyle. So you know if uh, the ball leaving the yard a little frequently is the only issue, uh, he is certainly making it work. Uh, the Cubs getting their runs in this one. This one. Uh, the Cardinals did also jump out to a one to nothing lead in this one, but uh, much quicker for the Cubs to settle us all down as the bottom of the second is the big inning here on Saturday. Five runs in this inning. Ian Happ, his eighth homer of the year. Chris Bryant taking a bases loaded walk to score a run. Javi Baez with an RBI single to bring in another. And then Anthony Rizzo hit by a pitch. So a big second inning for the Chicago Cubs on Saturday. The Cardinals would get one back on a DeJong homer, uh, but that would be it for them. Uh, The only remaining scoring of the day was an Alcantara home run, his second of the year, and Jock Peterson again with his ninth home run of the year. I will say, Brendan, they wore those, uh, you know, city jerseys or uniforms on Saturday. Jock looked really good in that whole, that whole look, the, the, the blue socks, the, the blue undershirt, everything. A lot of the guys look pretty good in it, and I I didn't really have much of a problem with the uniform. I know that they were kind of much maligned on on Twitter. I thought once the guys got them on and you had more of the light blue, I was kind of into it. But in particular, Jock just... It just worked for him. Uh, maybe I'm just saying that because we got to see him flying around the bases after and hitting he's a big like home run every single game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know maybe, yeah. but uh, I did. I you know. know, I thought it fit him pretty well. So I like the I like the light blue. I mean, I thought they could do better with the overall jerseys. That's a different conversation. But yeah, like the light blue representing Chicago. I thought that was a good little aesthetic twist to jerseys. But overall, man, you know my feelings on this. I just was not a big fan of those jerseys. Although the hats, I thought were pretty cool. But outside that, yeah, I thought they could do better. All right. Well, anyway, I know I we're know, not here to debate fashion. Uh, that's Brendan. Sometimes we are. That's Brendan has a solo podcast for that on uh, Patreon. Eventually. You guys can subscribe yeah. to. It's just him talking <laughs> about uh, baseball outfits for. I could do it two hours at a time. Um, so, the key uh, moving to Sunday. Uh, it was a two to nothing victory for the Cubs, and uh, we'll end up talking about this, I think, the first thing after we finish this up, Uh, but I think the most important thing that we saw this weekend was Zach Davies. Zach Davies Mm -hmm. picks up his fourth win of the season. He goes six and two-thirds, giving up just two hits, no runs, two walks, and six strikeouts. His ERA on the season now down to 4.01, and he throws 89 pitches in this one. So, uh, you know, again, one of those situations could have maybe gone a little longer, but Ross did push him in this one more than he has in the past and, you know, very nearly getting uh, through seven innings there. Ryan Tapera coming in for his 13th hold of the year, an inning and a third, all zeros, and Craig Kimbrell picking up his 18th save of the year, three strikeouts for Craig in that uh, ninth inning. 
His ERA on the season, Brendan, sitting at 0.66. That will play, Corey. Pretty good. That'll play. I'm pretty sure that'll play. Uh, The only runs in this game coming in the bottom of the third inning, and it all sort of starts with an error on Paul DeJong. Uh, So Jock Peterson... Uh, grounds to the shift, and it should have, uh, you know, gotten through the inning. It does not. It allowed Eric Sogard to score from third base, and then Anthony Rizzo, after, uh, you know, Chris Bryant did some, did his thing, Anthony Rizzo comes up and singles and brings home Jock. So the only runs in this one uh, coming via a St. Louis error. So that is always nice. Some bad defense from the Cardinals in this one. And Carlos Martinez, uh, one of his better starts of the year as he had come in with bad numbers. Two runs, both of them unearned. So sometimes that's how it goes. And I'm happy the Cubs are on the uh, receiving end of that. So that's the series. Uh, You know, again, you get some fireworks in those first couple games and a a pretty simple one. The Cubs jumped out to a lead. Zach Davies and uh, the two top members, really, of this Cubs bullpen lock things down. So uh, Brendan, we kind of talked about the the series, the the feeling at Wrigley Field, just the whole atmosphere of it, which you know again was just off the charts, and I think is only going to get a little crazier as the season goes on. Oh, yeah. um, but I, I think you know a lot of stuff we saw this weekend is stuff that we had been seeing, right? Jock has been on a, a bit of a bender for a while here, right? So it's it's not exactly news that he had a, a big series. So we'll talk about him, but some of this stuff we had been seeing uh, leading up to this. But I think Zach Davies and his start on Sunday night, uh, which now, you know, he's stringing them together a bit more, and he's giving you exactly what we talked about, Brendan, which was length. We needed length. We've yes. been repeating that over and over and over um, for Davies in particular, and he gave you that on Sunday night. He gave you a really, really quality start. Well, his command was on point. That was, and we said it last podcast, the last start I thought was his best command of the year. This start against St. Louis, by far his best command of the year, better than even his last start. And the reason being is because if we look at his heat map, the location in which he threw his sinkers, it was basically like a few dots that deviated. Most of his sinkers were right on that inside border of the plate to left-hand batters. And a lot of them were actually up in the zone. And so there was a thought I had earlier on that because Davies was throwing so many sinkers down in the zone with San Diego, and we know the Cubs pitching infrastructure and Tommy Hattie, they love telling their pitchers, hey, get your sinker up in the zone. I thought maybe the reason we saw some of those command issues earlier on in the year was because Davies was just not used to throwing so many high sinkers, and the heat map kind of reflected that. His changeup over the year has been basically the same changeup from like a command perspective in a with efficiency perspective as last year. So I think that the final piece to his puzzle is just owning in on that command. And we saw that in the last start. We saw it even get better in this start. And he's doing that encouragingly, I think, with sinkers up and in to lefties over and over and over again. And that, that, that was good to see. He was able to go deeper. David Ross was able to trust him to go deeper and 
I, I love it. I think it's necessary for Davies to do this right now. Like, it'd be great if he were to adjust even in August and September and go into hopefully a playoff run with a good Zach Davies. But him doing this now, it gives more information about, hey, what can we do with this pitching rotation at the trade deadline? Because if we're going to take Davies more weeks, more starts to get it figured out, then you have to ask the question, do we need one starter? Do we need maybe two starters? Do we need to spend more prospects? Um, I guess currency, I don't want to say that, but do we have to give away more better prospects to get back a better starter? Or if Zach Davies is truly this reliable pitcher that we saw in San Diego last year and throughout some stretches in Milwaukee, maybe you don't need to give up some of these prospects and some of these uh, highly touted players to bolster your rotation. Maybe you can actually then rely on Kyle Hendricks and Zach Davies and hopefully Adbear when he's back from that blister, which he should be okay. But also you don't know with Adbear's uh, longevity as the season goes along. So it's great that he's adjusting. I think over the course of the year, it was probably more likely, although you don't know. Yeah. But it's even better that we're seeing him adjust now in June, giving this front off giving this front office weeks to decide what to do with this rotation. This one six and two thirds, no runs comes on the heels of six and six flat in San Diego. Only gave up one hit in that one. Um, you know, and so that's a couple in a row where you're getting, you know, truly quality starts. Um, really you know, good starts, yeah. Yeah, around 90-ish pitches in both of those outings. David Ross letting him work a little deeper. And yeah, I think you're right. Like, you know, I don't know what to expect of him going forward, but I think we knew that the version that kind of started the year was not not who he is, right? Um, he's just been better than that and more consistent than that through his career. Um, but it's, you're right. Like it, it, this is one of those times where it's, it's, it's sort of like a narrative to say, or like coach speak to say like, you know, really need Zach Davies to step up here with Ad Baird <laughs> yeah. out, you know, he's on the IL and we need guys to step up. Right. And it's like, it's, it's not that easy, right. For a pitcher, right. Zach Davies is his own person. He, you know, him and Tommy Hadovy and, and everybody, they're working on certain things New with things, him. For sure. And you have to get that stuff together as you can, right? So it's not it's not easy to just say, well, hey, Alzali's hurt, Zach. We need you to figure it out now, right? But as you said, Brendan, it's very nice that he is doing that and, and sort of maybe hitting his stride a little bit, getting a little more comfortable, getting things right as we hit, uh, you know, the, the sort of summer portion of the season here, because while it's not that easy, they need it. They, they absolutely need it, right? You're, you're still waiting to see what's going on with Trevor Williams. Um, you know, you had a bounce back outing from Arietta in that last one, but, you know, obviously prior to that, you know, kind of the similar things with command and length and, and all of that, you, you need stability, right? You need more than just Kyle Hendricks for David Ross to be able to look at and say, okay, I'm getting a quality start tonight. I can plan on, you know, hopefully unleashing Tapera and Kimbrel to lock down the game and get us the W. But other than that, this is going to be on my starter. And, you know, again, it's only a couple starts, but 
the issue for Davies prior to this was not necessarily getting killed, right? It was it was a little bit of command and not being trusted to go deeper into the game. So now that he's kind of working through some of that and is being given that trust, the results weren't bad prior to that. You know, his results in the month of May, he only had one start where he gave up three earned runs. There's a lot of zeros and ones. It's coming in a lot of four or five inning outings was the problem, right? So if he's been figured that out and you're kind of working through that second, third time through the order stuff as we go along in the season here, it's it's immensely important for this team. And it's also immensely important for what we talked about last week with Alzali, right? Like we weren't sure what the Cubs were going to do. We weren't sure if they were going to slow him down or whatever. And so if you feel a little more comfortable with Davies, you can, again, you know, sort of really take your time with Adbear and say, okay, what do we want to do here? Because we've got some other guys holding things down in the rotation. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't think about that. Having Davies step up now gives the possibility that you can be more patient with Adbear. Um, not even with his injury, but as the season goes along in July, in August, and especially if Cole Stewart is a guy which I, I, you know, I think he still has a good chance of being a guy. And Trevor Williams coming back, it does elongate the window that you might be able to use Alzali. And that's for me. If we go into the playoffs, you need him. Like you, there's there's no way unless you get some type of high ace at the trade deadline to get through the playoffs without Alzali doing what he's been doing in April, May, and early in in, in June. So that's a necessity. And seeing Cole Stewart, even with 70 pitches and short notice, and I know he gave up a few runs and wasn't able to go deeper, but he displayed five pitches. The cutter was on point. The heat maps, if you look at where his location was, most of those pitches were commanded exceptionally well. This is not to say, hey, you have Cole Stewart, who is like a number three, a number two pitcher. It's not. That's not the point. But the point being is having Cole Stewart just be a starting pitcher, even if he's like a guy with a four FIP or like a 4.2 FIP, whatever it is, that's valuable in this context. Just having an average pitcher on this team allows Ross and the front office to be more patient with Adbert. That way you go into a September and he's maybe well within his innings limit and go into the playoff run and you have a quality trio. You have Hendricks, you have Davies, you have Alzali, maybe you have a new pitcher from the trade deadline. And with this bullpen with Keegan Thompson and getting back Justin Steele and Tommy Nance and Ryan Tapera, all these guys capable of going multiple innings, that is a really formidable group all around, even within the rotation and bullpen. Anything on Hendricks and the home run ball? Yeah, this one's weird, man, because if you look at those home runs, the home runs that uh, Arenado, uh, that, that the one that he hit, at least, it was a ball down and in. So it uh, wasn't commanded poorly. We've heard and maybe, you know, bumpy people have hinted that Hendricks might be tipping some of his pitches. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but the home runs are hit on pitches that are good pitches. They're not left up or leaked over the plate like we saw earlier on in the year. I don't know what to make of that, to be quite honest with you. I think it's okay overall. There there was points in some seasons in years past, they're all blurring together. I want to say 2018, but there was a point where Kyle was giving up home runs left and right, and eventually it got sorted out. But I don't know what to make of it. I'm not concerned. 
still getting whiffs. He may need to tweak some things sequencing-wise, or if he is tipping pitches, they'll have to uh, iron that out. But at least against St. Louis, the two home runs he gave up, they, they were good pitches. Uh, he hit his own. I don't know what to do about that. Arnado is one of the best hitters <laughs> I think I've, I've seen in, in, you know, among the best hitters I've seen in this generation. So it could just be chalked up to like, hey, Arnado is one of the better hitters, and it is what it is. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I, you know, it wasn't a leading question. It's just obviously the thing that's uh, plaguing him the most. So, yeah. Just... But I mean, his command is fine, though, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's the thing. I mean, his velocity is fine. It's been at the, and the highest have been all fine, year. You know, especially yeah, the lately. results have been fine. Yeah. He's given up home runs for reasons I think are probably not sustainable. It could just be a random event. Yeah. All right, so uh, that is that on the pitching. I, I I don't really have much to add on the bullpen. I mean, we've kind of been talking about most of these guys and their success for quite some time here. Um, you know, again, it it it's it's incredibly impressive to watch what this group has done. Um, and you know, namely, I think. When you, you know, of course you look at Kimbrell because he's just, I mean, he's just filthy. I mean, that, that outing on Sunday was just ho- I mean, like horrifically dude, nasty. <laughs> that I mean, knuckle curveball he's throwing is just unbelievable. I don't know how anyone gets uh, it's, that. it's really nuts, uh, how he's <laughs> sort of worked himself back into a peak form. I mean, honestly, I, again, I, I yeah, say this all, all the time. I didn't watch Craig Kimbrell all the time throughout his career, but uh, it's like hard to imagine that there was a period where he looked better than this, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know how it gets much better. Um, but you know, it's, it, it's always just worth noting in a series where they do come up pretty big, like, you know, the, the performances of Ryan Tapera continue to be really, really, uh, amazing. He's got his ERA under two now. The Cubs have a ton of guys with, with just really sparkling ERAs. Um, and it's, it's again, like, I, I don't have any insight on, on any of the guys that we haven't already talked about, um, but it's just such a credit to the, the work of this, this pitching infrastructure and the front office, um, because, you know, there, there are teams that spend a lot of money on their bullpens. There have been instances where, you know, people have called for the Cubs to be doing that, and, you know, this is the approach that they've taken for a couple years. Now, obviously, Craig Kimbrell makes a lot of money. That was sort of a, a specific move at the time, right? Um, but for them to continue to be able to get such efficiency out of their bullpen with, uh, their own guys now, especially in 2021 or guys that they are finding elsewhere, it's really impressive, Brendan. I mean, every time I I love talking about Tommy Nance on this podcast, so it, it probably will happen almost every episode, but I mean, Tommy Nance has not given up a run all year, Corey. He's 11 in a third inning no runs is caper nines over 10 and his sinker i don't even want to call it a sinker it is a wiffle ball thrown at 97 miles per hour and then he couples that with just disgusting curveballs and he's doing this in multiple innings it's not like a one inning let it go max out effort he's doing it in multiple innings in a lot of recent cases and we saw nance used Earlier on, when I say earlier, like a few weeks ago, more so in higher leverage situations, like, you know, the seventh, eighth inning, and he still is being used in those cases. But we saw in the instance where Cole Stewart went four innings and he was then supplemented by um, Keegan Thompson for inning. But then after Keegan Thompson, I was thinking, hey, maybe Keegan can go through the fifth and sixth inning. That didn't happen. 
Tommy Nance came in through for the six and then through the through, through the seventh in, in a very efficient manner. Uh, that is huge, I think, for this team as the season goes along. If you have Tommy Nance showing the ability to go multiple innings, and then uh, you you saw where this could go in a playoff scenario. If you have a starter go four innings, the game on Friday was a template of what the bullpen can do. Keegan Thompson, one or two innings. Tommy Nance, one or two innings. Chafin, throw him in there. Kimbrell, lock it down. And you can and you can actually substitute any of those names. You can put Tapera in there. Dan Winkler has looked good. Maybe Rowan Wick will even be back. And Justin Steele will be back at some point in the season as well. So th- th- this bullpen is just so flexible. I've never experienced having such a flexible bullpen ever as, as a Cubs fan. And it's kind of this unique twist that I don't really recall any other team in my memory having this type of flexibility ever. In a, in a playoff run, you never see uh, a bullpen, like all of them, able to go multiple innings. This could be the feature that gets them through a September chase and then going through October. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how they pursue things at the deadline. You, you know, you've seen some people talking about maybe jumping the market um, and going and getting some depth at, at starting pitching now. And, you know, rather than waiting until the deadline and, you know, whoever's available and stuff like that, um, because, you know, again, and we've talked about this, and and I don't think that any of these guys, at least that it, it stands out to me, are being, you know, wildly overused or anything like that. I think they've been pretty careful. I mean, I remember earlier in the year there was that point. Um, I don't remember if it was one of those pirate series where Kimbrel wasn't in there and everybody was kind of freaking out. And, I think it ended up just being, you know, letting him rest and, and things like yeah. that, um, or when little things pop up, not pushing it and trusting these other guys. Uh, so I don't think anybody's been particularly overworked, but, you know, as you're talking about it, Brendan, it's like it's it's clearly a weapon for this team to be able to shorten games uh, with their bullpen and, you know, get over a, a starter yeah. that doesn't go super deep into the game. They've been doing it for a good, you know, pretty much the entire year, uh, but you know, you don't want to trust that that will continue over the course of 162 games, right? Um, so again, I, I, I don't look at any of these guys. I, I don't think we have like a Steve Ciszek, Joe Madden situation on our hands where someone is being used like literally every night to the point like where we're all joking like, oh, you know, I bet Ciszek is warming up, right? Um, but it's going so well and you're able to use it as such a, a weapon and such an asset that you want to get to the point where you are protecting that. And, you know, again, they know that, we know that, we've been talking about that. And, you know, Cole Stewart, like this weekend is in, you know, sort of still sort of making these spot starts, not, you know, he was just sent down, then called back up. So it, it it's not an easy spot. And you've got Alzali on the IL, you've got Trevor Williams had to have an appendectomy. So these things pop up. Right. But you got Alec Mills working his way back too, and he's not probably like fully there yet. Right. Right. So it's it's all just to say it it's still something to keep an eye on, right? Because just because they're able to navigate it or mitigate it as it happens so far in the year, you, you don't want to keep pushing that all the time, right? The the sooner you can start getting more reliable, lengthy outings from the starters, the better. And it it it's only just because it allows you to not have to use so many of these guys every night. Right now, if David Ross, like you said, Brendan, on Friday, if he needs to use four or five guys to get through four or five innings, he can do it and they'll mm-hmm. win, right? Yeah. But 
you, you want to, you know, there's a lot of season left is just the point. So, you, you know, you don't want to be testing that template too often. Uh, but otherwise, I mean, this bullpen just keeps on rocking, man. And it's, uh, you're right, it is a weird spot to be. The Cubs have had some good members of bullpens over the last, like, several years and certainly through our lifetime, Brendan. But the the confidence that you feel at this particular moment, I think, is pretty unique. I mean, with such a large handful of guys, like Ross can call on any number of them and you're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, we're moving on (laughs) to the next hitting, right? Right. Yeah, and it's not to say that this is going to be the current group that we see in, in September. You have guys in Iowa that are just waiting to get a chance. And we saw Corey Abbott get a chance. And granted, you know, he shelled up some home runs, but he's still been interesting. You have Dakota Mekas, for example. He's been looking good. He's actually gotten some multiple inning outings um, as well. And it's not to say that this group, as we look at it, this is why we're excited. It's not like that. It's like, who could be next? And didn't look good. We saw Trevor uh, McGill get a chance. I didn't like the situation, to be quite honest with you, in the ninth inning. Um, I'd rather it happen in, in like earlier innings, even though they're up by five. But you saw Trevor McGill get a chance, right? And that could be another person to monitor that eventually in the upcoming weeks, he normalizes. Maybe he's working on something new that we aren't seeing yet with Tommy Hadovy and Craig Breslow's team. And it gives you confidence, not that this group is like, you know, this good, which they are, but it gives you confidence that we have other pieces just waiting and other players waiting to get a shot. And I'm curious what they look like. I, I, I can't wait, especially when Braylon Marquez gets back on that mound. I had zero idea what they're going to do with him in 2021, but we did see him in 2020. I know he had COVID. I know there's some issues, but maybe there's a possibility that by September, Braylon Marquez can come out of the bullpen for an inning. And he's like a Randy Johnson junior type pitcher capable of throwing 100 miles per hour with a very interesting uh, slider quarry and a new sinker that he developed last year. So more guys are coming. Well, that sounds just lovely. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I love all of that. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's where it is with the pitching staff. You know, a, a lot of these things kind of uh, continuing trends, but I, I think the most important thing here is Zach Davies, you know, starting to look like a more consistent producer in this rotation. Um if anything, you know, just with like efficiency and, and quality outings, uh, because that is uh, going to be pretty important here going forward. So on the offensive side of things, um, you know, again, like a lot of things continuing. Javi's still dealing with that thumb thing. It popped up again. Uh, he was scratched on Sunday. So, you know, something to just keep an eye on. He did play throughout the weekend, um, but not on Sunday. He did have a bat uh, when they showed him on ESPN. So hopefully it's all right. You know, just one of those things that lingers and I think pops up a little bit. They, they've they been pretty careful with it. So, I, you know, I think um, they're in terms of their handling of it, I think it's fine. Just something to keep an eye on. Um, but want to talk about um, re- really one person, and I'm setting it up by talking about two people. A slower weekend for Cubs legend Patrick Wisdom. Uh, you know, a couple <laughs> offers in the games he starts. He does have a pinch hit uh, appearance and a pinch hit. Uh, in the game on Saturday. So, you know, still uh, doing his thing, uh, at least in the pinch hit respect. But I I think, you know, this kind of goes without saying, at least I assume it does, but we got to see more of Alcantara uh, wherever it is, right? It should be at second when Javi's in there. He subs in at short 
on Sunday night when Javi's the the late scratch. But um, just a a super intriguing player, Brendan. And you know, we talked when he was first brought up. You know, he's only twenty four. Uh, so they're, you know, a, a young guy, a lot of room for, you know, potential development and changes and, and things like that. But um, you just, it's hard not to like what you see and want to see more, right? Because even just on the surface, without delving too deep into things, you've got a great athlete who's got some speed. He plays really good defense. He's got a cannon of an arm and he's slugging, dude. Like this was not a home run hitter. Um, you know, for, for a lot of his career. And, you know, he's only got two, but he's hit the two home runs. He's got three triples already. Like the, the, the guy is making things happen. And when you combine it all, right, like a, a solid uh, defender that can play multiple positions around the infield, that's got some speed, that's got a really good arm, that's a valuable asset in and of itself, right? But when you start to see what he's putting together on the offensive side of things, right, like this is a really interesting situation that the Cubs have going on here. And one that I did not expect. I should I should have followed Alcantara a little bit more, I guess, when they picked him up. But across the board, I don't see how I can't like him. I mean, he hits the checkbox on almost everything I look for for an infielder. Uh, speed. Love the speed. He's faster currently. Small sample size, be damned, but he's faster than 75% of major leaguers. Checkbox right there. And if you look at his defense, his arm, absolute cannon. Fangraphs rated his arm on the scouting scale a 70 out of 80. That's basically saying scouts believe his arm strength is better than two standard deviations above the average guy or 95% better than your average arm. This is on our team in the infield. We have a guy with an arm that's possibly 95% stronger than your regular infielder, and he's at second base. So I'm thinking, okay, you have Javi at second base, you have Alcantara at shortstop. Imagine those double plays, dude, like the cannons that are going to be released. And defensively, too, he's soft. He plays shortstop. Um, He has very soft uh, glove. He has a very soft footwork, and he looks good, and he's fast. He's an athlete, and that's what you want from my point of view, in the middle of your diamond, you want athletes in there. He has three triples. He's rounding the bases like crazy. And my my favorite thing about him from an offensive point of view is that discipline. This is, this is something that I think every fan uh, who's watching Alcantara needs to be aware of. Alcantara has an incredible eye at the dish, at least according to, one, the eye test, and two, what he showcased this year, last year, in their minor leagues, the peripherals, the surface level, walk rates. He's hitting all the checkboxes. I mean, this year, Corey, his outside the zone swing rate is 14%. The average is 30%. If you want to normalize that to like an everyday player, Corey, that's the best in Major League Baseball, 14%. And then last year in Detroit in 2020, in that shortened season, his outside the zone swing rate was under 25%. And he made, with Detroit, 89% contact. So this, this is kind of what you attempted to get with Sogard, but you're not getting with Sogard really anything. But like it, the process during spring training, you're not getting the speed, you're not getting the athleticism, you're not getting the power potential. And that is another aspect that he may have developed. He's hit four home runs with Iowa and the Cubs this year. That's the same total sum of home runs he hit from 2018 to 2020. 
He's never hit more than four homers in one season at any point in any year. So he's he's improving, perhaps. Fangraphs list him at 5'9", 150 pounds. There is no way he's 150 pounds. That guy looks at least, I mean, I don't know, like 170. So he's he may have gotten stronger, and that might be contributing to some of the increase in power that we're seeing. Shortstop, second base, contact, uh, incredible plate discipline approach. And one other point in Iowa, in 79 plate appearances, his walk rate was 23%. So am I getting ahead of myself by getting excited? Very possibly. I do this quite often. But like, I like everything I see. I I, I want to see more of them. Uh, I lose my absolute mind when I see Eric Sogard, even in the dugout, let alone in the box. A contra has to play every single day until Nico's back, until Duffy's back, until the rest of the team's getting healthy. A contra has got to be in there every single day. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's mostly a no-brainer. I mean, obviously, you don't want to throw him out there, um, you know, in, in bad matchups or, you know, sort of oversaturate things. But, like, just performance-wise, right? Like, when you have a guy who has, you know, he's hitting 290 with an OPS over 1,000. It's obviously a small sample. But, you know, the Cubs have been doing this with Patrick Wisdom, and, and you you know, a lot of teams do this. You you ride the hot hand. The guy's giving you really good numbers uh, all over the field, so you should keep playing him. So there's that angle, which is obvious, but there's also the angle, like, this is a young guy. If the change, if there's significant changes that have happened, right, that have allowed him to unearth a little more power, a little more slug in his game to go along with the athlete that he is on the bases and in the field, like this is a, a super interesting situation, right? And it and it needs to be explored. Like anytime you have a performance like this from a guy that's 24 years old, Brendan, <laughs> right. like this is not, you know, um, this is not a, a, a one-year signing uh, of uh, a 35-year-old or some veteran. You know, we've seen the Cubs do a lot of that stuff, right? And, you know, sometimes they get a lot of playing time. Sometimes they have a, a week or two and then they cut bait. Like, this is a, a, a like, if this is a guy, right, at 24, you got to you gotta figure that out. Mm-hmm. And it would be a big deal if he was because he plays multiple positions uh, and is good at the You really would replace at- Bodie on the roster, Corey. That would be what you're paying Bodie for. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're jumping far ahead here. I'm not. But... I'm just saying, like, that's what you paid Bodie for. The flexibility, you know, the, the versatility to play multiple positions, athleticism, sure. et cetera. Right. right. Yeah. So you've just got to figure this out. So I, I think it's one of those things, especially while the results are this good, you've got to give him the opportunity to continue getting in there every day, continue adjusting, you know, to new pitching every day, new teams every day. And let's see what happens when the league starts to take notice of him a little bit. You know, obviously, like in most of these games, he's hitting toward the bottom of the Cubs lineup. You've got some other guys in this Cubs lineup who are on fire, who any pitcher is likely to be focusing on. You also don't have that big of a sample um, on Alcantara, you know, just in his major league, you know, his major league careers, like 50 something at bats, right? So, it's it's important that he get that opportunity, right? Like give him the opportunity to be in there every day, playing at second with Javi when Javi's at short, uh, and let's see how he continues to make these adjustments. He's obviously made some changes to his game, um, you know, with the Cubs or, or over the time, you know, that that has led him to the Cubs, and you've got to let it 
play out, right? Like no one is expecting, oh, the Cubs found a second baseman who's going to put up a thousand OPS for the next five years. Like, no, 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 right? Like no, nobody's saying that. But as Brendan was just saying, even if you found yourself not even necessarily an everyday starter, like once Nico comes back or whatever in the future of this team, but if you found like a solid depth guy who you can be moving around to multiple positions and you've kind of like unearthed a little something in his game that it's going to change things a little bit. That's a big deal. And we keep talking about stuff like that because it is that they're all big deals, right? The Cubs bringing up guys like Tommy Nance and Keegan Thompson. And when he was up here, Justin Steele, these guys are all from different backgrounds and they're different ages and they've landed with the Cubs in different ways. But the more of these guys, the Cubs are churning out from their own system from their own development infrastructure however long they're a part of it right and it's changed for a lot of these guys it's so incredibly important to the future direction mm. of this team it's it's so incredibly important that the roster is filled with talent and i know that sounds like uh, duh right like incredible insight from me but it's true. It, 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 it There's a big difference when your roster has a bunch of like expiring contracts, guys that are old, guys that aren't performing well, guys that have, you know, reached the end of their career or things like that. Big difference between that and guys you're calling up and giving an opportunity to for the first time or for a second chance type thing. And they're thriving. Like it changes the outlook of your roster. It changes the outlook of your financial situation. It changes the outlook of everything. So when you see stuff like this, you do really want to see it kind of like let it blossom a little bit. Let's see what we got here. You don't necessarily need every one of these young guys or new guys, however you want to phrase that. Really, I'm talking about like, you know, Tommy Nance is 30. I can't call him a young guy. Um, Careful. You you don't yeah right um, in sports right yeah. um, they don't all need to be core members of the Cubs five years from now right but it's it's just any time you can get even a year or two or three of quality performance it it really changes things so that that's been you know we've talked about that a lot but it's really exciting to see this keep happening. Brendan like we're getting random you know like random like cardinal rejects like Patrick Wisdom coming in and having the run of their career right like it's you know doing like MLB history that are they're showing on the ESPN broadcast and stuff <laughs> the Cubs are getting random you know prospect guys they're calling up they're getting you know more touted prospect guys they're calling up independently guys are like finally this is happening Seriously. for us that it's just like it seems like there's like a, a Midas touch situation going on with Jed Hoy and and you know the the Cubs infrastructure right now it's great it feels similar to what we were talking about in years past like why like I look at the Dodgers and they had Chris Taylor come up out of completely nowhere and he's a staple in that lineup and even they had Austin Barnes for example basically come into his own as a 27 year old and I always wonder like why like why aren't we doing this like how come we never even have a hint that this could be a possibility right and you see it finally this year for the first time in our I, probably fan lives. I don't remember this ever happening. It was always, especially during like the Theo era, you knew what you're going to get. You're going to get top prospects, first rounders, the Ian Happ, Schwarbers, KBs, you know, th- those guys. And you supplement that with, with, of course, the free agents. And there were never opportunities for younger guys to come up and kind of showcase 
the the potential that this could happen. And it may have been because those guys and the talent just was not there and the infrastructure to develop those guys and get them to the next level wasn't there. And that's probably actually what happened. And now you have, you know, Justin Stone as a hitting guy. You have, I mean, Breslow, that goes without being said. You're getting guys finally for the first time that are getting opportunities and developing in real time and becoming possibly very useful, significant figures for this team in 2021 and beyond. And even, you know, you, you do look at the roster, and this is a conversation for a completely different day, but you look at the roster and you think, okay, where, where can we fit these guys in once we're healthy, assuming that wisdom is still going to be a, a possible option and assuming that a controversy is going to be a possible option. It gets me excited. It's, you have so many guys and so many athletes on this team that I did not I did not expect. I never thought we'd be talking about uh, you know, Tommy Nance being an integral part of this team. It's not, a, it's not a shot. This is our fault for not noticing. Uh, or even talking about wisdom and Alcantara as uh, potential integral parts going into the later end of this year. This this is something that projections miss, right? And looking and going and taking a step back at what the projections were earlier on in the year, you had a huge variation of the Cubs uh, win number. And even that variation, Corey, is not considering the possibility that Wisdom is going to hit 20 home runs, which is what Zips projects him to finish at. And it's not considering Alcantara being a utility guy that could swing around the diamond at third base, shortstop, second base. It never considered that. So that even grows the variability in the projections from here on out. And when we see where we're at right now with 11 wins above 500, you know, 90 plus wins is really a realistic scenario. It is not some type of upper tier projection. No, this is this is a realistic number right now. And if things continue to progress, uh, we'll see what happens with with that confidence in that projection. But we're there. This team is there. This team is good, man. This bullpen is on fire. This this positional depth, given what we've seen, is better than I expected. Now it's just a matter of being healthy and finding the matchups and the situations that are optimal. And I think with Rossi, I, I, I think he's really attempting to do that too. When you have Chris Bryant playing center field and then Patrick Wilson playing third base, you're using KB in center field over Ian Happ, over Jake Marisnik, so that you can give wisdom a chance. That's urgency. That's trying to optimize the lineup. And I do like seeing that. But okay. So to wrap up, Let's preview the series against the New York Mets. We have a four-game set in New York. The first game, no off day, starts Monday. We have the start time at 6.10 p.m. Central. We have Jake Arrieta on the mound for the Cubs on the year. Jake is 5-6, a 4.97 ERA. He'll be facing lefty David Peterson, who has been struggling. He's 1-5 with a 6.32 ERA. On Tuesday, Alec Mills does get that start, so we'll see how he looks. He had some command issues when he came back from the IL, but he is getting that spot start. I'm curious to see how he looks. Having another guy that can be uh, in and out of their rotation, the ability to go multiple innings, for me, I love seeing that, so I am curious about that. On the year, Alec is 2-0, a 6.08 ERA. He'll be facing Taiwan Walker for the Mets. He's having a nice year, a 5-2 record, a 2.07 ERA. Again, that game starts at 6.10 
p.m. On Wednesday, Cubs have not announced a starter. Let's see what they do. But Jacob DeGrom is going to go against the Cubs that day. Oh, boy. Uh, DeGrom on the air, 6-2 record, a 0.56 ERA. DeGrom is actually having the best start in Major League history. That will be interesting. That's going to be very difficult, uh, difficult to see. Uh, one little tidbit I think is kind of interesting. Um, his slider is insane. It's, he's like throwing this gyro slider. Uh, so that might be, I mean, it is going to be a problem for the Cubs. But uh, I guess if you like pitching, that's, um, you know, a, a silver lining for that day. We'll see what happens. With how we talk about this, they're going to put up five plus runs. Uh, on Thursday, we have Kyle Hendricks to finish off this four game set. Again, that start time at 6 10 p.m. Central. Kyle on the year, 8 and 4, a 4.46. ERA. We'll be facing Marcus Stroman for the Mets, a 6-4 record, a very nice 2.33 ERA. Mets doing well, 32-25 record. Cubs doing very well, five-game win streak, 38-27. Tied in first place with, I don't know how they do it, year in, year out with a poor run differential. The Milwaukee Brewers, who right now are also 38-27. Cubs and Brewers are up five games on the Reds at a 32-31 record. Cincinnati's played better lately. Cardinals below 500. Hate to see it. They're six games out. Pittsburgh Pirates, useless, the most trash team in my lifetime. They will never, never be good, probably. They continue to be useless on a daily basis. 23 and 41, a 14 and a half game back clip. That's the story. Uh, you have a four game set against the Mets. Um, it's going to be tough to go to New York. Um, Alec Mills will be starting. That's kind of a coin flip. DeGrom, we're facing DeGrom. If you can come away with a split, I'd be happy. But really what I'm looking for is just giving more depth and going deeper with the starters um, against New York. Just giving the bullpen a little bit more of a breather. I like seeing the multiple innings, but we keep saying this on, a, on, a, on an episode basis at this point. It'd be nice for Jake to go deeper. It'd be nice for Alec to maybe go five innings. Kyle Hendricks, I think you can count on him, or it's more likely he goes deeper. But then I'm looking at that third game in the series with no starter announced, and I'm a little concerned is not the right word, but you see Alec Mills the night before, and you see Jake Arrieta the day before that, and it's like, all right, we need some of these guys to go deeper. You've got some tough pitching in this one. You know, you're headed out on the road again, no off day, you know, to kind of uh, travel and all that. So, um, you know, again, like just, just, managing these games. They talked about it on the ESPN broadcast, and I think we've all experienced this, but like the Cubs are taking care of business at at Wrigley Field. Uh, Is it a coincidence that I always tell you guys I'm going to do just that? You know, you guys can judge that for yourself. I I don't know. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. Um, But they're dominant at Wrigley Field. So in keeping with that, like you want to play well on the road, you want to have a good series here, but it's all just about like just keeping things going survive don't let the wheels fall off the bus right on a on a short road trip to new york so uh this should be an interesting series Uh, you know obviously always interesting to run up against good teams kind of see like how the cubs fare in those games hopefully javi will be able to go in these and the thumb isn't popping up as much i I gotta tell you brennan like if the cubs win this series and they beat the grom i mean good luck to everybody i'm gonna be insufferable yeah it's gonna be on we both will be on this podcast, on Twitter, if you meet me in person, just truly, truly, if you think I'm insufferable now, I mean, just wait. Uh, like, if they win this series and they touch up DeGrom, it's going to be, we're going to be so off to the races, you guys. Like, I, it's hard to explain how high the level of of uh, excitement will be if if that's how this, this series goes. Because you just watch DeGrom, he's just so good. He, he's, it's like a joke how 
precise he is with the placement of pitches and stuff like that and there you know there there's just no better way to feel confident about your offense is if they go in and they win a game uh against someone like that and we've seen the Cubs do you know like a, a similar game to how they fared against you Darvish they didn't do uh they didn't have that much success against Darvish the other day in San Diego, but they had enough, right? And so that's what you're looking for when you're facing guys like DeGrom. Like, just do take advantage of any mistakes, any, you know, cracks in the armor, and just keep trying to pull off victories. And that's what this team has done. But again, it's it's a short trip. You're back uh, for three against the Marlins, two against Cleveland. Um, so, you know, a little bit lighter, I guess, relative to some of the, the teams that they've been seeing. Um, so just get through this New York trip, try to pick up two, anything more than that is golden, um, and just survive. Keep getting healthier, keep keep trucking along. As we keep saying, like this team knows how to win games. They've shown us they know how to come back, they know how to blow teams out, they know how to hold uh, a couple run lead, like they know how to win games. And so at this point, just get through, you know, any tough road trips or tough series and come back to Wrigley and keep racking up those wins. So, I think that's what we have for you. Really uh, just a wonderful weekend of Cubs baseball. I mean, that that certainly felt like baseball is back. The city of Chicago is back. The I know the world at large is not back, but at least in our microcosm of it, it, it feels back after a weekend like that. And uh, the Cubs carry their end of the bargain uh and then some with with a sweep and with some really really exciting quality baseball there at the friendly confines uh this weekend so uh, that really couldn't have gone much better you guys i you know when we when we finished off on wednesday night uh we were looking forward to this and and you know hoping for this but this i i don't even know if brendan and i could have scripted this weekend uh looking sounding feeling and going any better uh from um, pretty much every <laughs> every aspect of life I don't I don't think so that's uh that's all we have for you let's keep this train rolling uh out to New York and we'll we'll see what the Cubs can do out in Queens there and uh we will talk to you when they finish this four game set so that means we will talk to you guys on Thursday evening you'll you'll hear us on Friday morning and uh we will be getting you guys ready for I believe the only Friday night game of the year at Wrigley Field against the Marlins on the 18th here so let's uh at least split but you know let's let's take a series in New York and then we'll get back to Wrigley Field and and keep this uh, dominance going so as always thank you guys for listening to the Cubs related podcast thank you for supporting the Cubs related podcast and Brendan and I we will talk to you again on Thursday evening and as always go Cubs